Rates of opioid prescribing and deaths from prescription opioid overdose have quadrupled in the United States in recent years. In March, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a new guideline encouraging physicians to use non-pharmacologic therapies for chronic pain whenever possible, and when opioids are justified, to use them in low doses and to monitor patients closely. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Deborah Howery, Director of the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control at the CDC. Dr. Howery has co-authored a perspective article about the CDC's new guideline on prescribing opioids for chronic pain. Dr. Howery, you trace the beginning of the opioid epidemic to the 1990s when efforts to improve pain management led to an increase in opioid prescribing. How much was known at that time about the addictiveness of opioids, and what have researchers learned since then? We knew a lot less back in the 90s about the addictiveness of opioids as well as some of the other risks, including overdose and the combinations with other medications. I trained back then and was taught to treat pain and to treat it adequately and to treat all different types of pain. So doctors were doing what they thought was the right thing. And over the past 10 years and really over the past five years, we've had a lot more evidence talking about the extreme addictiveness of these medications, how dangerous they are, and we've seen a skyrocketing rate of overdoses in this country as a result. You say in your article that most of the randomized placebo-controlled trials of opioids have lasted for six weeks or less. So why, after so many years, are we still lacking data on the effects of long-term use? When we're looking at a lot of clinical trials, they focus on acute pain or shorter-term pain, and there just have not been a lot of studies looking at longer-term outcomes. But the FDA has announced recently with their post-marketing studies that they'll be able to start doing this over the next few years. But there's just been no long-term studies looking at this. The Cochrane Clinical Review also had cited that there were no long-term studies. that just haven't been conducted. You also talk in your article about abuse deterrent formulations of opioids, and you note that they're no less addictive and they don't prevent abuse or fatal overdose. Should regulators stop making abuse deterrents a priority? Are there other things that they should be prioritizing instead? So I think at this stage, it's really important to look at all different types of medications for pain, whether it be abuse deterrent or non-opioid formulations for pain medications. I think that's an area that is really ripe for expansion. We've heard from a lot of patients and physicians about how there aren't a lot of non-opioid pharmacological options. There are some, such as SSRIs, SNRIs, non-steroidals, but that's an area for where there's still a lot more room for development and research. Abuse deterrent opioids, as we stated in the article, are not addiction deterrent, but they could potentially prevent somebody from crushing them and injecting them. We do know that people can still do that when really motivated to do so. So I think focusing really on development of non-opioid treatments is crucial at this time. You write in the article that the CDC has already received more than 4,000 public comments on the draft guideline. What have you learned from those comments, and is the guideline going to change as a result of them? So the guideline did change as a result of them. We received the comments in December and January, and I personally reviewed the comments as well as my staff did. I thought it was really important to hear the stories from patients, providers, family members, and we also had letters from about 160 organizations. But at each stage in our process, we have really updated and refined the guideline. We first presented a draft to a core group of experts, then to stakeholder organizations, then to federal partners, and then to constituents on the webinar, and then on the public comment period on the Federal Register, where we received that record number of comments for CADC. 
We saw a lot of calls for making sure that care was patient-centered, so we made sure to highlight that. There was also some feedback on having numbers in the guidelines, but we had it on both sides. Some people wanted stricter numbers, some people wanted looser numbers. So for things like the recommendation on number of days for acute pain, we provided a range. And for things like when to use caution and when to refer to a pain specialist, with the numbers of 50 and 90, we really tried to give caveats around each of those numbers, realizing that patients are individuals and providers make these decisions, but that general guidance is really needed. One of the key principles underlying the guideline is that non-pharmacologic therapies can ameliorate chronic pain and certainly pose less risk to patients. How can we ensure that patients have as much access to interventions like exercise therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, as they currently have to medications? So I think that's really important. It's one of the things we're doing when working with our federal partners and with different medical organizations is to ensure patients are both aware of these options and can have access to them. Exercise therapy, cognitive-based therapy are all really important. Things just like sleep, though, making sure that there's good sleep hygiene can also be really important. So we've looked at an array of options, and we've listed some of those in the full document of the guideline, but I think this is an area to where we really need to continue to work with our partners to make sure that these access options are really available for patients. And then looking back at opioids themselves, some physicians worry that requiring urine toxicology screening, other forms of monitoring, will damage the trust that's necessary for a good doctor-patient relationship. How would you recommend navigating those situations? I think you make it part of routine care, similar to checking the prescription drug monitoring program. When initiating an opioid, you do a urine drug test, and you look specifically for opioids. You're not looking for other illicit drugs per se, just things that could put your patient at more risk for overdose. And you check the prescription drug monitoring program to see if they're already receiving opioids from somewhere else. A lot of doctors that we spoke with during this process were surprised. And that's what our guideline really stresses, is that there is no patient that is really at high risk. Every patient could be at high risk. There's no one type of patient to focus on. We want everybody to treat all patients the same and use this as routine standard of care. And I look at it as you would with other things like Coumadin. You, you would check a PT and INR before starting somebody on that. So before you start somebody on a long-term medication, if you've got a way to check and monitor, you would do that with other medications. Finally, what's the medical community getting right and what's it getting wrong when it comes to treating patients who are currently addicted to opioids? So the medical community has really identified that medication-assisted treatment can be very helpful for patients addicted to opioids. One of the issues that our country is facing is just the lack of number of providers that can prescribe bupe at this time. But there are other types of medication-assisted treatments that are available. And in addition, I think the one thing that we could improve on is identifying patients who are addicted and getting them referred or treating them as part of clinical practice with the medication-assisted treatment. I think it's just having that difficult conversation with a patient often saying, I think, you know, you may have some addiction problems. Here are the options we can talk about. As a practicing emergency physician, I can tell you many times in the ER, it was easy to write that prescription versus have that difficult conversation. But over the years, I've had many more of those difficult conversations because I've witnessed what's been going on in our country with a number of addicted patients. Thank you, Dr. Howery.